Before I get into uh, this morning's lesson, I want to share a little story with you, something that happened to me this week. Sitting to lunch with a friend of mine, older gentleman, about 74 years old, and a guy that kind of likes to take me under his wing. An accomplished man, influential man, an experienced and wise man. And I was telling him uh, a little bit about the church and things that were going on, and he asked me a question. He said, Steve, what's your vision? What do you want to see happen? I said, well, my vision has been the same for several years. I want to teach the Bible to as many people as possible. He said, that's a beautiful vision. Have you shared it with your church? I, said, I don't know. He said, tell them. Tell them what you want to do. I said, okay, I'll tell them. And then tell them. They know a lot more people than you do. And make a deal with your church. Tell them, if they'll bring their friends into the church, you'll teach them. I said, okay, I'll tell them that too. And he said, and, and listen, the church is a blessing. Every time I go, I'm blessed. It's a joyful experience. Don't their friends want joy? I said, yeah, if you put it that way. So tell them to invite their friends to church. Tell, challenge them within the next 30 days to invite one new person to church. I said, okay, I'll tell them. And then... When those new people come and make this church their home, and they will, give them the same challenge. Invite one new person to church. Your vision is to teach God's word to as many people as possible. They'll catch that vision. Share it with them. So I said, okay, I will. So I'm going to share with you my vision. <laughs> and encourage you to invite one new person to church within the next 30 days so that we can share the word of God with them and that they can have a joyful experience here at Book of Life. And then, as they make this church their home, we'll encourage them to do the same. And let's get the word of Jesus to as many people as possible. I don't know if the days are short. They certainly feel like they are. I think we should live as though they are. But whether Jesus comes back tomorrow for us, or in 50 years, we never know how many days each and every one of us has. And to, to next week may be the last day your friend has on this planet. We just don't know. So please partner with me, and let's see what we can do for God's kingdom. In fact, after services, I want to challenge you. That's eh, not even a challenge. I want to ask you to do something after church. Look at the two sides of the church. They're roped off. That bothers me every Sunday. We have empty seats here. We shouldn't have empty seats here. There's too many people in Tucson for us to have empty seats. So here's what I'd like you to do. Sometime after church, go over to one of those pews and pray. Pray for the person that God has for that pew. In fact, that's a four or five seater. Pray for those four or five people that God would fill that pew and that you'll know that those are the people God's calling in. And let's just see what God does. And all of God's children said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, we had a joyful experience yesterday. And I, you know, I realized time and again, that following God is the best thing, you know? I've lived life without God, and I've lived life with God, and life with God is much better. Being a Christian is the best thing you can be on this planet. This is what God has for us. It's fulfilling. But it also comes with a cost. It was a small price paid yesterday, even for those of you who worked to exhaustion and then came back today to serve again. But it's a price. Blood, sweat, and tears, if you know what I mean. But some people pay a much higher price for their faith. 
they're threatened. Um, if you've been sworn at, fired, threatened, intimidated, or any which way mistreated because you're a Christian, not because you're obnoxious, but because you're a Christian, <laughs> would you mind putting up your hand? Look it, three quarters of the church probably. And that's in America! where it's illegal to persecute somebody because of their faith. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. You realize in 90% of the world, I mean 70% of the world, there's state-sanctioned and permitted persecution, where it's illegal to freely live and proclaim Christ. 70% is the statistic I read last week. We've got it good here. So we have a hard time understanding that in much of the world, people are seriously persecuted for their faith, even to the point of torture and death. It's not the greatest topic to talk about. It's not fun, but it's very true. And I'm talking to you about it because we're in the book of Daniel, and we're seeing several men of God being threatened and executed or attempted to be executed because of their faith. And I just want you to know, it's not some ancient Bible story that used to happen back then. It's happening now. I'll share the statistic with you again and some others next week. But in the last century, the 1900s, which all of you were there for, you were all born in the 1900s, except for the real youngest amongst us. That century, more people were executed for their faith in Christ than the previous 19 centuries before that. Millions. We have a hard time believing it. Well, I'm going to show you on video another story of persecution. In another country where it's legal to share your faith, and it's legal to be Christian, and yet persecution is still the very real. Um, if we could get the lights, Michael, uh, let's take a look at this video. The religious wars in Arad have not ended. The national religious are joining the with this demand to drive the Messianic Jews out of the city of Arad. Those are Jews who believe in Jesus in Israel. So, all of them will be thrown out from the city and from the Jewish state. Yesterday, 7 in the evening on Knopf Street, a normally quiet street, turned into a wrestling zone. You are not Yad Lachim. You are the Muslim Brotherhood. This is the reason for all the fracas. Polly Sigalim, the woman in front of whose house the noisy demonstration was held... I do believe in the Torah, the prophets, and also in the New Testament. It's already seven years that the ultra-Orthodox have made Polly's life, a member of a Messianic congregation, into a nightmare. The mission is a disaster for the people of Israel, he shouts. Several times a week they stand in front of Polly's house, a widow, a mother of three soldiers, and for hours curse her and warn about her. We will not let the mission run wild. Behind the peace of this pastoral city, a religious war has been taking place for several years. The ultra-Orthodox believe the Messianic congregation in Arad, about 30 families, are missionaries who came here to baptize as many Jews as possible. This is part of a film shown yesterday by the organization Yad Lachim. Let me ask you this. Are you a missionary? Everyone who believes in Yeshua truly, according to the New Covenant, believes that this is the answer for everyone. If this is a missionary, then I'm a missionary. This is our message. In Europe, they scream Jews out. 
Against the Haredim stands Polly's neighbor. He cannot remain indifferent in the face of the daily harassment of his neighbor. While the children of this woman are in the army and are guarding our borders, officers in the elite corps, the ultra-Orthodox who don't serve in the army, every day harass their mother and abuse her. Polly preferred not to stay at home yesterday. She was afraid that the demonstration would get out of control. I know they can be dangerous. I don't want to be here with my children to wait and see what will happen. On one side were about 200 ultra-Orthodox and yeshiva students from Dimona. Across from them, on the other side of the neighbor's fence, were 100 residents of Arad. We believe in the right of the Messianic congregation to continue and to function. You're not Jews, you're racist. This reminds me of the dark times in Jewish history when they stood in front of the Jews and screamed, Jews, get out! A little after nine, the demonstration ended and everyone dispersed peacefully. Polly was able to return home, at least until the next demonstration. A counter-demonstrator is shouting to the Orthodox, worshipers of false gods, worshipers of this, worshipers of that. So here's this quiet little town where this woman, her big crime is she's a Christian. She believes in Jesus. That's her. And of course, she tells people she does, and she shares with them her faith. So hundreds of ultra-Orthodox zealots got permission from the government to stand in front of her house and yell at her for hours in a country where it's legal to be a Christian and it's illegal to be persecuted to be a Christian. How would you like to live in that environment? It's horrible. And I'd like to say, well, that's the only instance something like that happened. And by the way, I'm sharing with you stories of Israel because it's another Western and free nation. The stories from other nations, there's volumes of books on them. So what's happening in Israel is nothing like what's happening in other countries, but still, it's horrible. Nothing beats this story. On March 20th, 2008, 15-year-old Ami Ortiz stayed home from school. It was Purim, a Jewish festival in which holiday baskets are sent to friends and acquaintances to commemorate the Jews' thwarting of Haman's evil plot as recorded in the book of Esther in the Bible. So they're celebrating this biblical feast. And to Ami's delight, someone left a holiday package on the Ortiz family's doorstep. When young Ami opened the package, it exploded in his face, filled his body with hundreds of pieces of shrapnel, and left him in critical condition. Ami's father, David, is a pastor of a messianic community in the town of Ariel. Apparently, this is not an attempt to injure a 15-year-old boy, but rather an attempt to murder a minister of the gospel in Israel. A police investigation was opened after the bombing. However, the Israeli police were extremely indifferent and apparently negligent in conducting the inquiry. The surveillance cameras, which had been installed by the Ortiz family, actually managed to film the person who delivered the package. They handed this recording over to the authorities. But to their dismay, no arrests were made, and the police refused to even return the tape to the Ortiz family. A year after the tape was confiscated, and after repeated refusals by them to release their property, the family brought the matter to court. With Ami and his parents present, the judge ruled to return the tape to the Ortiz family. Then in May 2008, a day after a revealing expose on the issue was aired on Israeli television, police contacted the Ortiz family, asking them to resend 
many important documents pertaining to the investigation. The original copies had been lost. Ami's story was covered by the prestigious program UVDA, which is a documentary news program that delves into news stories in depth. It especially features stories where justice is not being served. David and Leah received calls, uh, that's the parents, calls of support from Israelis all over Israel for days afterwards, condemning the bombing and expressing their support for their family. It's very rare that the mass of people do this sort of thing. It's only the few. Here the mass are getting behind them. In January of 2010, a full-length documentary was released in Korea called Restoration, made by a Korean Christian film company, film company. They captured the subject of the persecution of the messianic body in Israel, using Ami's case as their focal point. It was a huge success in Korea, playing in movie theaters for four months, and won the Monaco Film Festival Prize in 2010 for Best Feature-Length Documentary. Press and media coverage have continued extensively on the Ami Ortiz case. These have not only continued to lift up the name of Jesus in Israel, but have also continued to put pressure on the authorities to bring justice to the case. Then in May of 2009, the FBI officially became involved in the case because David and Leah are dual American citizens with Israel. The FBI's help with the Shin Bet, their um, FBI, moved the investigation forward quickly until a man named Jack Title was arrested on October 7, 2009. I could read nonstop for days about contemporary stories of your brothers and sisters being persecuted. Not because they've done anything bad, not because they're mean and nasty people, but because they follow Jesus. And they are so hated for that that people want to harm them. Listen to what Jesus said. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. Jesus said, don't think it's odd if you're persecuted as a Christian. I'm giving you a heads up. It will happen. In fact, the Apostle Peter said, anybody who wants to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And then elsewhere, the scripture says, evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse as the end progresses. So, what happened to Daniel, to Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is not just ancient history. That stuff's happening today, too. People are being persecuted and killed for their faith. We are in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 3, there are three men whose lives are threatened because of their faith. Israel had been destroyed. The southern kingdom of Judah, which still existed, um, was just dispersed. During Daniel's lifetime, he was taken capture, brought to Babylon. He was forced to learn the Babylonian ways with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then they joined the staff of the king of Babylon. So they went from captives to civil servants. They went from lowly men to government officials because God had blessed them. They were brilliant. 
and they were good guys. But unlike a lot of the other Jewish people who are dispersed because of their idolatry, these men were faithful Jews. They believed in the one God and worshipped him and him alone. All was going fine. They were left alone until King Nebuchadnezzar had a new statue made, almost 100 feet tall, put it out in the public square, gathered a bunch of dignitaries and musicians and said, when the music begins, everybody bow down and worship the statue. When the praise and worship begins, bow down before the idol. And so the music, the faces, yet in the crowd, three men stand there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stuck out like sore thumbs. Everybody else was down, not these three guys. So some of the other officials grabbed them and dragged them in front of Nebuchadnezzar. You men, I've got a law. Everyone must bow down or you get thrown into a furnace of fire. I'll give you one more chance. Here's what they said. I love this response. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Do what you got to do, but we are not worshiping the idol. You will die, then kill us. Because the second commandment says you will not bow down to idols. They knew this. They were not going to do it. God says, don't. Nebuchadnezzar says, do. Do or die. Then die. Because we will not disrespect our God and disobey our God in this way. We would rather die. God can deliver us. We don't care. Whether he does or doesn't, we don't care. We're not doing it. I love that section of scripture. These are mighty men of God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, the God to some of the Babylonians, was defied to his face. He was not a happy camper. He was furious. I could see him spraying spit and yelling. Make that oven even hotter. And they made it so hot that when the soldiers opened the door to throw these guys in, the guys who opened the door died from the heat that came out. That's hot. And then after the initial blast of heat, they threw in, tied with rope, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell in to the blazing furnace. And I could just imagine Nebuchadnezzar's smug face sitting on his throne. <laughs> That'll show you to disobey me, disrespect me. I don't know, nobody gets away with that. And then he throws them in the fire. And the weirdest thing happened. So much so that he jumped to his feet and started yelling. Well, let me read to you what he says. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, leaped to his feet in amazement. And he asked his advisors, weren't three men that we tied up thrown into the fire? Yes, of course, O king. Well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire. They're not tied up. They're not harmed. And the fourth one looks like a son of God. Who do you suppose was in there? with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how amazing was he that he stood, stood out in front of this flaming, fiery furnace. 
Could you imagine how floored you'd have been? And I loved what he says. It looks like a son or the son of God. He doesn't know anything about the son of God. He was using the language he knew. But how prophetic was it? How spot on was it? He said the truth without even knowing he was saying the truth. Because honestly, there are only two options. That fourth being that saved them and was in there with them was either an angel or Christ. And I'm going with Christ. Because, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He was there with them in the fiery furnace. I wonder what they talked about in there. I'm sure they were kind of not happy about being thrown in, willing to die for God, but it's not like anybody wants to. And when they saw those guys get killed from the heat, they're like, oh, this isn't going to be fun. Well, it'll be over fast. And probably that's what they were thinking. Or God will save us. They get thrown in. They said, the ropes burned off, but they didn't get burnt. And there was no smell of smoke on them. And they looked around. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. God! I don't know. So Nebuchadnezzar called them out. He said, guys, come on out, come on out. And I'll tell you what he said a little later. But I want to take a break in the storyline and talk about persecution in general. Persecution is a bad thing. Evil people doing evil things to good people. It's as bad as it gets. Bad people doing bad things to good people. But God, being the amazing God that he is, makes good come out of persecution of Christians. You know, the Bible says all things work together for good for those who love God. We don't always get to see the good, but oftentimes we do, especially with persecution. Um, so here's this poor woman who can't even go to her own home because people are cursing at her in a legal demonstration in front of her house. She's afraid for her safety. So, Steve, what good could possibly come from that? Let me read to you from another article. The Arad police had refused a request by Polly's neighbors to hold a counter-demonstration in her support. However, a group of neighbors gathered in someone's yard to support Polly with one sign reading, We all became messianic because of you. So here's a Jewish neighborhood and a bunch of Orthodox Jews come from out of town to persecute her, her neighbors gather around and said, we're with you, we're with Jesus. You don't see that every day in Israel. That just doesn't happen. But because of what happened to her, that's what happened. And I, I bet you anything, if Jesus came to Polly and said, listen, would you be harassed several hours a day for the next several months so everybody in this community and in Israel and in Korea and in Monaco, and in the United States can hear your story and have Jesus magnified and lifted up? You think she would have said no? She would have said twice. I'm yours, God. Do what you got to do. So God took this horrible thing, and the end result was, and it's so funny, these people hate God. That is, all the persecutors. And they want to stamp out Christianity. And every time, it's like throwing a bucket of water on a grease fire. They don't learn. You know? It, it makes it worse. They, the people run away. 
and now there's a gazillion people hearing about Jesus. It was localized. Damage contained. But then they persecute, and the people spread out. Now, these ultra-Orthodox Jews thought they were doing God's service. Now millions of people have heard about Jesus because of what they did. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the help. So what good comes from persecution? The spreading of the gospel. The gospel flies out when persecution happens. You know, um, this fiery furnace episode, all the dignitaries were there. All of Babylon heard about what happened. And I'm sure it was the talk of the town for years because these three men's lives were thrown or were risked because of their faith. Probably the greatest spreader of the faith in all of human history is the Apostle Paul. He brought Christ to the pagan world. He was amazing. But you know his story started at the stoning of Stephen in the Bible. The persecution of Stephen was part of the story of the Apostle Paul who became the greatest evangelist of all times. And not only that, but when Stephen, the deacon, was stoned, all the other believers fled because the persecution was not just against Stephen. So they fled. Guess what they did where they fled? They spread and preached the gospel. Every time they try to stamp out the faith, it's like throwing water on a grease fire. It just spreads the gospel. Not only does persecution result in the spreading of the gospel, it also results in bringing honor to God. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, I said, had something to say after the guys came out? Listen to what he said. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He went from God's worst enemy to God's number one prom promoter like that. And Nebuchadnezzar and some of the other pagan rulers in the Bible, especially in the book of Daniel, have some of the greatest praise for the God of Israel after he shows himself through his people. In a couple weeks, we're going to be talking about Daniel and the lion's den. Most of you have heard the story. But after Nebuchadnezzar got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out, he praised God. After Darius got Daniel out of the lion's den, listen. Listen to what he said. I issued a, a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That's some of the best praise in all the Bible. Coming from a pagan king's mouth after the deliverance of Daniel through the power of God. So, what good comes from persecution? The gospel spreads. What good comes from persecution? God is honored. Am I saying persecution is good? No. I'm just saying that God is good. And he's so amazing that he can even take evil, squeeze it out, and out comes good. And you just imagine a big bucky, bucket of mucky, nasty, brownish, gooky water. And you take a nice clean t-shirt and dip it, dip it in. And you take it out, and then you wring it into another jug, and purified water comes out. That's how God does with evil. He's amazing. So why are Christians persecuted anyway? What do we do wrong? I mean, yes, there are annoying Christians. There's annoying everybody. 
but for the most part, Christians are the nice people. We're the non-profane people. We're the ones that feed hundreds of hungry people just because it's a loving thing to do. We're the ones that pay our taxes and pray for our leaders. We're the ones that try to be honest and noble and upright. So why do they hate us? Listen to what Jesus said about this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Wow. Please understand, they don't hate you because you deserve the hate. Jesus didn't deserve any hate. Jesus is nothing but pure bottled goodness. And they hated him for it. The more like him you are, the more like him you'll be treated. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as it loves its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who has sent me. Why are Christians persecuted? Because we're not of this world. We're not like this world. We're different. And people hate different. I'm not saying everybody out there is an antichrist who wants to kill you if they don't believe in Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I am saying the world is a dark place and it's getting darker. And in most of the world, your life is in God's hands for believing in Jesus. So, what do we do when we're faced with persecution? Most of you are thinking, Steve, that's not relevant to me at all. Oh, you know that for a fact? What's tomorrow going to bring? And already, most of you raised your hands saying you were persecuted already. So how do we deal with it? What's the God way of dealing with it? Jesus actually told us how to deal with persecution. He gave us several pointers. Next week, we're going to look at those pointers so that you know how to deal with it when and if you're persecuted. And then you can share it with some of your missionary friends in other countries who are being persecuted. And you can pray for them and with them. So, before I pray over you and dismiss you, we'll have the band up again, of course. Um, I do want to share just one little more thing with you. Some of you in here this morning or, or with us online or listening elsewhere um, may not have yet made a decision to follow Jesus. I'd encourage you to do so. He is our Savior and our Lord. Jesus died for us and rose again so that he can take us to heaven. But going to heaven is optional. And it's up to you. He's already died for you. The way to get to heaven is by turning from your sin and following Jesus. That's the only path. And I, I just urge you, to make the decision to follow Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for sharing with us the story of Polly 
Thank you for the story of Ami, the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel. And Lord, we don't want to share their experiences, but should the day come, we pray that we would be as godly as they. I've recently seen an interview with Ami where he said he doesn't hate the man who tried to kill him. He forgives him. I just don't understand that kind of love. I thank you for the bravery of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they said, God will deliver us, and if it, even if he doesn't, we'd rather die than turn from him. God, help us to have that kind of faith and help us to share the faith of Jesus with others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.